Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Garden <laughs> Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr of Kales River, along with the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters and I'm joined as always by Director of our parish, Father Rodney Weissman. Father Rodney, how are you doing? Uh, hi, Lindsay. Uh, through the grace of God, we are all um, trudging along, making our way together through the maze that COVID has placed before us. And um, also great, grateful that we are able to participate a little bit more in life, uh, more with a little bit more of confidence than of fear that we've had and paranoia. Um, and also at the same time trying to ensure that we keep to the regulations to, ins- to ensure that our country doesn't have more victims, mm. um, in, you know, starting from us. And so, yeah, we... We have we carry great concern for all people who are uh, currently having to live with that, you know. Yeah. So, um, so we have to be responsible from our side. No, definitely. Yeah, I've 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 been enjoying getting out a little bit. Um, level one is is. It's a lot more relaxed, um, a little bit too relaxed. I was up in Table Mountain um, with my sisters and my family. And yeah, they, it's just strange to be in a queue um, where everybody is not quite at like the 1.5 meter. We were actually driving through and my wife and I were talking about um, how the people were filming in Cape Town and whether they enjoyed the freedom of the streets during lockdown. And then I remarked to her that everything was better in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, now that is true. That is true. That is true. I, I, I think, the, the, you know, the, the world definitely needs a time to uh, be housed. Humanity needs a time to be housed. Otherwise, other things that ought to be living are not truly living because of our f- uh, footprints. Um, and also the fact that we use our hands not to heal but to create waste. So yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that is a, a, a sad reality. Mm. Uh, so this week, I think, closes off the church in creation themes. And the theme for this week is water is life. And I believe that deep in my heart uh, because water is the one thing that we can't create more of. Absolutely. Yeah, we can we can create more Absolutely. energy. Create. Uh, we can recycle. We can do such a lot with with all the other resources. But water, there's only that much water on this planet, and we need to use it wisely. Absolutely. I always wondered why God created oceans that has that takes up seventy odd percent, seventy five percent, I think it is, of the Earth. Mm. Um, to remind us of this theme, life, and if you if you read about water in the in the in the Johannian tradition, John's Gospel and the letters, you will find that the 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 the, the reference to water in John's thinking is life, and therefore the spirit. Um, mm. And we have right at the beginning of Genesis how the spirit hovered over the waters and the chaos and the darkness. Um, 
that which needed to be given life is given life because God is spirit and God brings life to to us and waters the symbol thereof to remind us of that. So in other words, are we challenged to think about the the um, the uh, you know the gift of water all around us? And we know what happens when we can't drink and wash and use it for food, what <clears throat> dilemmas we end up in. And hopefully we are able to have practiced during the times when we were almost at ground zero with our dams, yeah. that we would yeah. um, have learned to walk, you know, use water sparingly um, and, and, and with gentleness rather than with the way that we have treated things so for granted. Mm, but like with much other things, especially what I'm seeing now as we transition through to the latter stages of this pandemic, where we start to loosen up a little bit, we are quick to forget the, the times of destruction and we just fall back to our old, our old ways. Like I see people just washing their cars and just doing things with water where you're like, we, we were so close to running dry, but now you go and absolutely. You yeah, I think I think you know that's a very Old Testament um, um, uh, understanding of of the people of Israel, how easily they forgot who they were mm. as the covenant people, and how easily they forgot that God was their God. And I easily they forgot what their mission was to the world. And so we have uh, that in us, um, things like distractions, bling bling, um, all that shiny we assume is gold. So our, our focuses are de de detracted from the real important things. Well, God tells, just shows us how easily, you know, um, when we don't have it, what do we then do? Then we want to cry uh, about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Father, on, on that note, um, can you please call everybody together with a collective prayer and I'll catch up with you for the liturgy. The Lord of all creation be with you. I welcome you all to the podcast on tomorrow's liturgy. We're doing this on Saturday, but assume, assumedly we are as if we are in a Sunday. And I trust that all is well with you as you start adjusting to level one. Uh, please note that we are always cautious of the three things we have to observe um, in this time. This week's liturgy starts with the words from Isaiah the prophet, and it reads, When the poor and needy seek water, I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains on the midst of, in the midst of the valleys, and I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dryland springs of water. Rising out of this, those who have put the liturgy together for this theme of water is life, the fourth week in Seasons of Creation, have commented like this, the poor of the world are thirsty 
for justice and for peace. Their journey is unending till hate and oppression cease. The Lord of heaven is thirsty for justice and for peace. His battle is unending till hate and oppression cease. And it almost sounds as if the author of, the, of this commentary gives us a picture of the fluid, fluidity of justice and peace that, are, um, that we need to have our souls quenched with as we live in this very harsh world. This then leads us, Lindsay, to the collect for this week, which focuses on water all around us. So let us pray. Lord, of all the waters of oceans, rivers, aquifers, and lakes, evaporation and rain, grant us humility before the resources of the world to respect their limits and to acknowledge our dependence on them. May the waters of the world remind us of the grace of life and the depth of your love. We make this prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, Father, the first reading, Philippians 2, verses 1 to 13. Uh, there's a lot of callback, or at least, a lot of the wording of the Nicene Creed can be traced to this passage where um, Paul is kind of just affirming the, the belief of Christ, or at least speaking the, the, the gospel of, of Christ, where he's like, he always had the nature of God, but and he, he gave up all he had, and he took on the nature of a servant. Um, so it's just kind of testifying the Christ-like features that all Christians should be aspiring to. Am I, am I reading the correct thing here? Yeah, I, I agree with you. The wording does reflect um, a creedal um, statement. Um, what I've learned through my studies was that uh, the second chapter of the letter to the Philippians verses 6 through to 11, was a hymn in the early church. Oh. For sending Jesus in praise of Jesus for the way in which he was willing to come. And so you would see at the beginning, verse 6, a point you mentioned, he always had the nature of God, so it's the celebration of God but chose not to be equal with God. And right at the end of the verse 11, it says that when we pro openly proclaim that Jesus is Lord, we do so to the glory of God the Father. So um, it was a hymn, and hymns are normally um, uh, testimonies of, of faith, of creedal statements that are being made about the Trinity and about what God intends the church to be. And if there are other themes such as nature uh, and God's connection to that, we um, those are all ways of praising God, of celebrating who God is, who God revealed God's self to be. And this is a hymn that is um, what they would would say in um, in theological language, Christological um, a focus on it. Um, but Paul does remind us 
uh, you cannot speak of Jesus without rem remembering the other two persons of the of the um, of the Godhead of the Trinity. Yes. So um, yes. it's 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 that kind of an an a, a a sentiment that you've raised. Certainly, I have no problem with that. Cool. And then, like verses three um, to to just before that, it's it, it's interesting that 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 he talks about. Uh, I'll just read it here. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves, and look out for one another's interests, not just your own. The attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had, and then he goes on into that whole school. So I'll, I'll just like take it out of my personal life, where um, earlier in my life, I've always been trying to prove, and I mean, I, I think I, I it's just one of the one of like the central parts of, of like the human experience as you are growing from adolescence into adulthood um, and you kind of always have that urge to prove yourself that for much of, if I reflect back for much of my life I was just trying to attach my name to something great and to be seen like for my deeds and those sorts of things and now later on after like that sort of path was, maybe kind of taken away from me because I didn't probably appreciate it as much as I should. Now it's, I've turned like my career ambitions to, to be in the service of others instead of like just serving myself, which is, yeah, it's, it's weird that, that, that it would present like in a, in a Christian text here. Well, I think again, Paul realizes that we are human and we do have, um, things like selfish ambitions and we need to boast. All of these things are a means to try and identify who we are to the world because people are perhaps not generous enough to identify who we are and, mm. our, and, and what we bring to the table. Our, um, the focus would, would always be, and particularly in, in, uh, for young people, was, no, what do you know you are too young? Yeah. And so you yeah. now have to prove that whatever you bring to the table has to be better. So when your identity is, is, is stripped without people even knowing who you are, you now have to choose another way to prove that you are worth all of that. Um, but now you're struggling to do it all on your own. Paul prefaces all of this hum human things when he says your life in Christ. So what therefore is our life when it's not in Christ? Then we are um, uh, running after things like selfish ambition. What is ambition um, that, that once we've achieved the one level, I remembered uh, I took some time before I finished my, um, my degree in theology. Mm. And I always, I always wanted a degree. And when I was finished, one of the parishioners at the previous parish who, who was a doctor um, said to me, now that you've got it, what difference does it make to your life? And I thought that, you know, um, was it chasing after letters behind my name? 
or has it made me, has the process made me a better person? And can I be a better person if I'm following only the processes that humanity and the society offers? But Paul says, where, where you will gain the, the best in terms of who you are is when you consider your life in Christ, which is what all of us who are baptized should consider. Because mm. in baptism, we've been clothed with Christ. And that makes the difference. He makes the difference for us. We also know that selfish ambition really injures not only our relationships with other people, it also injures who we are. Because if we are running after ambition, we even do so at the detriment of ourselves. We don't rest properly. We always have to be in the limelight. We always worried what other people are going to say. And, and when we are not in those crowds, then our, we are deflated. And often in some cases end up with, um, with depression. When you look at verse, 14, verse 4, it says, look out for one another's interest, not only your own. I would want to argue that when Paul says that, if we are really serious about looking after the other's interests, we will then begin to discover what our own are. We, we, we do it in a collaborative way. Mm. Um, in other words, the, the, the Ubuntu way, that I can only be a person because you are a person. And I can only achieve together with others what we achieve together. It's not about reaching the uh, South Pole or the North Pole first. And then mm. my name goes down mm. in history and, and so what. Um, and history has often proven that the first people who actually did all of those were never recorded. The locals who went there were never yeah. recorded. So it's those with selfish ambition and cheap desire to boast that actually did all of that. So I really think, you know, that um, the more I look at it, the more I realize what is life without Christ? He, he makes the difference. Anyone in Christ, and Paul wrote, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And aren't we excited to look out for the new rather than hang on to the old that we are trying to create through selfish ambitions and uh, cheap desires? That's the way we, we are creating ourselves. What is the, the, that, um, your, that um, Western idea? You reinvent yourself hmm. um, is what uh, the millennials, I think, use that term. Um, I, I think you reinvent. The, the term has now been coined as you pivot. You pivot. Yes, you, you so, pivot to a different stream, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So however, you, whatever language you're choosing to define this, it's still the same thing you are after. Mm. And so what happens when you can't achieve that? I remembered somebody telling me in one of these charismatic um, churches, uh, prosperity cults, 
where the pastor was always saying in his sermons how if you truly believe you will give God your tenth and God will bless you and the blessings would obviously come in a prosperous way which reflects through your your wealth, your material wealth, uh, and that would have, have, have shown others that it's, be, it's worth believing in God because God looks after you in a materialistic way. Mm. Now, now, he had, after years of being in that context, said to me, I started questioning why was it that I was, I was obedient to what the pastor said because he showed me what the Bible was saying and he preached on it week by week. But I never got the luxuries that he got. And he was wearing designer clothes with his family and driving the latest BMW. And so why is, has God not blessed my faith with the way in which the pastor has said? Of course, the return on that would be maybe you don't have enough faith like your pastor has, which yeah. is um, yeah. a part of the deception. Um, you know, I, I've got a weird social, I mean, I looked at this and I thought, uh, what Paul was talking about was living ethically with, with each other. But how do you do that in a capitalistically minded setting when, when I only en enjoy doing things for myself and can boast about it while others unfortunately suffer? And so last week's theme, uh, need but not greed, plays itself out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here it says, hold it, and I always had this thought in my mind, if I was by any means a, a, a rich person who perhaps was born with a silver spoon in my, in my mouth, I would have loved to have said to, to people that I know have never been on a holiday, have never flown to another country, here is, I'm going to skip my trip this year, um, you do it and enjoy yourself. Here's what I would have spent on my trip and my family's trip, because I know that you'll never get this opportunity again. But now people would blame me for being a little bit too socialistically inclined, mm. which I'm not ashamed of, because when we think of ethical living, you know, what, what does Jesus teach us? Um, in this hymn, it said, he did not claim equality with God. He took on a nature became human, he entered into a life of poverty and into a life of humility and death. Um, now, you know, that's the kind of, of thing that he did for others. Um, so when you look at the cross, for example, you don't see ambition. When you look at the cross on which he died, that was for others' interests, not for his own. Uh, why would you want to die like that for others' interests um, or for your own, you know, you're doing it for others. And he never, ever boasted about what he had to do. He even kept this away from his close disciples. So what was Jesus teaching us about economics and about ensuring that everybody is able to have a share in this beautiful earth. I mean, how, how, I don't understand the world where people who have earned billions through whatever means 
own islands and beaches that were not made to be owned, but shared. So again, here I am, I am treading very thin ice, but I'm willing to do that because I'm motivated by the last verse, verse 11, I mean, and all will openly proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do I do that when I'm holding on to selfish ambition and cheap boasting? Um, ah. <laughs> So, like going, I, I unfortunately, and, and I can say unfortunately now with, with quite a lot of confidence, um, I didn't chase the degree because I made it to like diploma level and I realized very quickly that I couldn't be taught anything more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I struck out and just started working and, and doing that whole spiel. But then in like hindsight, what 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 the degree is supposed to, I know the, the the concept of it has been cheapened now um a lot but your degree is your reward for contributing to the knowledge base mm-hmm. so you do a thesis or something and you add to the world's knowledge and you get rewarded by that with a degree and that certifies that you have successfully added to the knowledge base and you now have an important um the opinion <laughs> the opinionated guy <laughs> you don't need a phd for that do you <laughs> no um yeah uh, it's, it's amba, yeah. <laughs> yeah natila i i think the, the 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 point you are you are look you grow when you read there's no doubt about that yes yes and when yes. you reflect on what you're reading and it's also good if others check what you are doing. Like, for example, this conversation we're having now, uh, you could be asking me in words like this. So, Father, what is your thesis on Paul's second uh, chapter yes. in Philippians? Yes. So I'm now trying to say to you, what do I believe about what Paul is writing? What have I learned about what Paul has written in other people's comment commentaries? And also what was beneficial to me having learned this. So I, in a way, have written a thesis you have by the contribution you're making. Mm-hmm. And this helps others to come to, to some kind of, 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 of grounding. I think what's, 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 what's um, humbling for me is this, um, this thing that Paul says. And he, he says, I urge you... To make me completely happy, how do you do that? Having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, being one in soul and mind. Now, that's a difficult task when we are all wanting to hear ourselves. Yeah. When what we have put on the table is the acceptable model to follow. Mm. Um, I know that, uh, that unlike some of the education I received at school, they have these days, um, they have these days you, where people are le- peer learning that, that is happening. I, th- yeah. I have, I got such a great respect for, for that and encouraging that to happen because, um, you know, the benefit of somebody who doesn't understand can be helped by their peers if they choose just to listen and participate. 
Uh, and of course, in the peer group, there must be that respect that we are not all on the same level in terms of the gathering of information, the resources that we have, or even yeah. parents who speak to us about these things and encourage us to read by their own example. So that's why peer group helps with, with that person that is disadvantaged and if not helped, will be continuously disadvantaged in life. So I think peer, peer learning is a very important thing. However, the big word in all of this is the attitude. It's fine to have peer learning, but you don't have this attitude of Jesus. How do you ensure that peer learning is going to be beneficial to all? But remember, um, and, yes, we have in this podcast charted, or at least I have, um, when we went through the feeding of the 5,000, um, the walking on water, and then arriving at the confrontation with, with the woman, um, with, with, with the Gentile woman, where Jesus was, to my mind at least, trying to, he was chasing that idea of, of showing who he was um, and, and showing off the, the power that flows through him. And, and, and I still believe that, that through, through those two miracles, um, the feeding of the 5,000 and the, the walking on water, there was no tangible benefit to like the Christian movement. Um, obviously, like in retrospect, it, it was a movement, but at the time it wouldn't, uh, it would have just been like kind of this guy living his life and, and growing, growing. And then it, it's interesting then that um, the confrontation that happens in the gospel, which is Matthew 21 verses 23 to 32, is uh, the chief priests and elders came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And by then Jesus has matured enough in, in, in his own understanding of what his journey is to then speak to them without dismissing them as he would have um, as, 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 a, as a slightly younger man. My, my response to what you're saying would be this, and I, and I move from a Johannian premise. Yeah. Um, John, yeah. John tells us that Jesus came and he became God with us mm. and so embraced mm. our humanity, which is what Paul was teaching us in Philippians. He took yeah. on the form yeah. of, not only did he say Jesus took on the form, um, he first said he took on the form of a servant, then he took on the form of a human being, and he appeared in human likeness. Mm. Now, it is as he did that. In other words, when he got, when he came alongside people on that journey to the cross, remember, it was the cross to which he was journeying from the time of baptism to the cross that he was journeying. Yeah. It was, it was in embracing, yeah. it was embracing humanity representatively through the individuals that are told about in the story and through, and that is why many of them don't have names because they're meant to be all of us that he was embracing so when he stopped to heal the eyes of a blind man with sputal and with with um with soil with soil you know and told him to go and wash these eyes you know was he doing that for 
ambitious uh, positions or for boasting in positions or for showing just how much power was flowing in me? Was he doing it to embrace more seriously the condition of humanity in such a way he's then revealed as the one who comes to take us from blindness to see? Because that's mm. God's intention. Mm. So the incarnation is a very important key for me. It is Jesus embracing our, our humanity along the journey he made from the cradle to the grave. Um, it was not for me about using the opportunities of engagement in the story of the gospel as a way to say, to say this is how ambitious I want to be and this is how, uh, um, how my power is revealed. Because when he, he came out of baptism, those were the very things the devil wanted, the devil tempted him in. And he yeah. counted yeah. all of that because his intention was not selfish ambition, nor cheap celebration of, 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 um, um, of boasting. It was about embracing, and that means taking on the nature of a servant. That is why Jesus is so easily misunderstood, because people can read into the story and say, what you said earlier on, he did that as a human being in order to show how unique he was. But was that really the attitude he embraced? I don't believe this. So that's why I think you made a good point. Chief priests and elders of the, of the people comes to, to challenge him about authority that he has to, to teach mm. and to find mm. out who is the authority behind him. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Because mm. there was no ceremony that authentic, authenticized Jesus as the savior. Yeah. He came yeah. into a manger. He did not go to university, yet his questions through those who thought they knew everything. So obviously the mystery of who stand behind him is going to be of a great challenge to these people. If he had boasted, well, God is giving me all of this. Can you imagine what would have happened? Mm. Um, it was only post-resurrection or, or after the resurrection and when the Spirit of the Lord came that the disciples looked into this message and reflected on his teaching and could begin even to edit the story as they understood uh, who Jesus is and then the four Gospels portrays him yeah. uh, with each yeah. having a focus on, on him. I like what the author of Matthew has done here. Matthew's written for Hebrew Christians and for those from the Hebrew faith who want to engage the gospel of trying to find that for themselves. Was Jesus really the Messiah sent for us? And so in those days, your authority was very, if you're a teacher, for example, you would have had to be known to have studied with a renowned um, rabbi who, mm. um, whose teachings were very profound and far more, um, it, uh, far more depth than others would be. I remembered when I was doing my 
my degree through uh, the South African Theological um, College. Um, one of the guys in our church who was a doctor and he received his doctorate from the University of Cape Town, Cape Town. And when I said I'm doing it through through this because it just assists me with my time and all of that, I can include it in my daily schedule. The pressure's not so harsh coming from universities. Um, he said to me, but now who are you studying with? Yeah. So in other words, will your degree yeah. be authentic if I don't know who's the authority behind you? And so you as a student then tend to look up on the internet and go and find out. So this professor that's teaching me, let's say contemporary religions, I need to go and say now, okay, he's got a doctorate, but where did he get it from? So yeah. if it yeah. came from Stellenbosch, then he's okay. If it came from UCT, then it's fine. If it came from a little known um, uh, university in PE, then of course the person is questioned. Yeah. If it came from an Anglican yeah. background, but the person is more uh, and, and Catholic, then you are, are, are on the good soil. As soon as they see that you've had evangelical people teaching you, also got their doctors from famous places, then you're still okay. And it does deflate you because I was enjoying studying. Thank God I tarried on to complete it. But here Jesus used a very important lesson for us. Because when we are confronted with such a question, we want to justify why we are important. Mm. So I can then say, yeah, but I went to the university of so-and-so and so, and Professor A, B, C, and D taught me these things. Yeah. If they had, yeah. if he had given them an answer, um, of course we know that they would have had serious issues with that. So instead he said to them, let me ask you a question. How do you view the baptism of John? Now it was a it was a real curveball year. Because by this time we think John had died. Mm. Would he have been considered a prophet? Would he have been understood to be a prophet in between the Old and New Testament, as we understand him to be? And the baptism that he performed, would it have authenticated um, who John is? Um, and so Jesus said, how do you clever ones understand the, the authenticity of John's baptism? And of course, it was very interesting that the author tells us how before they gave the answer, they first huddled together. Yeah. They yeah. tried to work out a collective mindset as to what they thought. I like what Jesus did here when they said, we don't know. He said, neither will I tell you. Because your interest is not to find anything out that's the truth. Mm. Now, was he being humble about this? Because what easier thing would, have, would, have, would it have been just to say, you know, actually, God authenticated me to do this. The yeah, God but, of the covenant. Yeah. He was arguing with them um, by their idea of legitimacy. So, like, to legitimize his 
kind of existence as as a a scholar or at least a like I'm, I'm going to say like as as a a, a teacher of the law um, would have yeah. had to be baptized by John and then it's like cool so all of these people think that John was this so then what do you think and then does that mm. legitimize you me in your eyes but I, I you, you you raised something earlier where, where um, there was this assumption that that Jesus always knew that the cross was the end game. I I I don't think it, it gets revealed in the in the lead up to the, the the journey to the cross where it really starts intensifying that maybe there was a different path that could have been walked. I think there was like a fork in the road where if enough people had bought into the ideas that Jesus was spreading, that he would then not have had to endure the cross. But because not enough people, it didn't have as much as a profound effect as intended, that he then had to have that sort of symbol to legitimize his journey. Um, did, did you cover that perhaps in, in like theological college? Yeah, I, I think again, again here it's about the interpretation of what happened in the garden, in the in the wilderness experience of Jesus. It all goes back to the to the whole um, challenge of, of the devil, um, and and perhaps you know when the questions were asked to him by the devil, and the temptations were put to him. Before he gave an answer, did he not have to think very seriously about what that is? Because any answer he gave revealed the choice he made for the path that he would walk. So yeah, in those yeah. temptations, the fork was definitely there. You stood mm. at the pinnacle of deciding which road will you take. Will you be faithful to your baptism call in which you are pleasing to God, or will you please yourself and the devil? Jesus certainly had that choices within him. The, 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 the temptations revealed that. If he had given in, uh, then of course he would have chosen the other way. Uh, mm. So why was he so resilient? He was willing to go through the temptations when the Spirit moved him into that arena after baptism, according to Matthew. Mm -hmm. And he was then not, I, I think he was not only faced with the devil uh, personified, but I think he was faced also with the human, of what, what challenges as a human being he would have. So, you know, receiving such a message from the devil, how did he process it? Uh, why did he come up with those texts that he, 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 he remembered as a, a profound way to counter what the devil was asking him to do? Um, mm. How enriched he was in the scriptures to be able. And again, yeah, one would have assumed because he was Jesus, he just knew it off the cuff. I think that was a time of deep, deep struggle. Um, and the same uh, event around the, the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, mm. we are told mm. over and over again in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane scene, there was a bitter cup. A yeah. bitter cup. And, and, he, and he was saying, do I really, really need to drink this? Mm. So whilst it may not have been his first choice, if he had the choices to make, um about it he was true to 
to himself by asking the question. One wonders, you know, when we look at the guarded, how much conflict within God there must have been about the scenario of the cross. You know, I mean, we I can just, just imagine, you know, are these people really worth doing all of this for? And I, w- I want to add on to, to, to what, or, or reflect on what you said earlier on. If he had shown himself in such a way that the masses would follow, that would have been a, a clear indication that he had not accepted the path of the cross. Mm-hmm. So that's why when we look at what Paul was saying about how Jesus, the Christological message he gives about Jesus, who had within him the sense not to think that by force he should try and remain equal with God. Imagine the tension in that, remaining. He did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God. So there could have been an argument in the Godhead that yeah. says, no, yeah. no, I don't want to give this up. Can you imagine me going down to those people down there? Look what they do to one another. <laughs> and Paul says, instead of this. So there was a certain decision mindset that had come to. Says So So I like, in a way, the... the, the, the um, the anthropological way in which God is presented. Um, you know, it's almost as if, you know, God is this boring God who knows every answer in the book as if he doesn't struggle with these things. Yeah. I think within the God, there's serious um, g- grappling with um, what's the best way to fulfill his plan and purpose for this world. Um I mean, why didn't he instantaneously just send Jesus? Why did he give us prophets? Why did he call us to the covenant? Why did he give us numerous prophets? And we still did not hear. And so we hear Jesus saying in this very gospel of St. Matthew, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Um, so, So I certainly believe there's not just, I think we must, you know, for me, there's this, I think that there's a necessary understanding that within God, there's no just easy quest, easy answers, quick fixes. Yeah. Uh, if we yeah. see within the in, in the human person of Jesus, the Jesus of the gospel, then do we not see this God who is trying to engage people? And when they foolishly jump out of a boat to say, let me walk on water too. What was he trying to help Peter understand? Not that walking on water is what I want you to do. So what I want you to do is, is your eyes focused on me? You're asking me to help you through this. Then keep your eyes on me. If Peter had walked immediately on water, would he not have had some selfish ambition? I can walk on water like Jesus did. Would he not have a cheap desire to boast about it? But we do know he did not walk on water immediately. Why? Because that wasn't the call. The call was, do you have faith in me? Do you trust me? Do you have your eyes focused on me? And, and that's what the gospel says to these, what Jesus says in the gospel to these people. 
right at the concluding part of of the, the text reading um you did not change your minds and believe in him you were so fixated in your own way of thinking that you could not even see the 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 wood for the trees but here's the the, the, the philosophical dilemma <laughs> so that and, and it goes back to a, to a, to a question I, I asked probably right at the beginning of all of this it's like how arrogant are we to say that we were made in god's image um and then kind of personify that concept by giving god all of our negative traits like the jealousy and that and then um kind of you you spoke to that point of having that conflict within the godhead where mm -hmm. it's like like my understanding and and i mean when i say i'm i'm not i i'm not a creationist uh, I'm, I'm i'm an evolutionist so i don't consider humans to be in the image of the higher power but there is a consideration of a higher power that must have started everything. I just don't understand what that is. And I don't think that we ever will. Um, I, I like to believe that we'll get close, but I don't think that we'll ever fully understand it. But then, yeah, um, when he says, I truly tell you the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God ahead of you, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. So isn't that just like me wrestling with this concept of God? Like, wasn't that kind of what, what the, the scholars were doing? Um, and, and that they couldn't like sign off on one concept that, that Jesus was, was, was kind of putting forward. Look, I, 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 I wonder when you when Jesus used the words, "You did not change your mind." So, yeah, what what was your mind so full of that disabled you from really taking in what was being revealed to you? And why is it that uh, tax collectors who had with them the burden of rejection? from the nation because mm. they collaborated and they were seen as thieves yeah why yeah. would prostitutes who would also have been right down there with the dregs of society why why were they able to believe what why, why were they able to move from their context and have within them the mindset of hope because of what the message of john meant and what the message of Jesus meant. Jesus interprets John's coming uh, to you in the way of righteousness. How did they interpret John's, John's coming to them? What did they see in them? So what were their minds so full of that they've made their minds up, that anything that does not reveal itself to be what their minds have been made up with, then they were going to discard that and in fact, even become violent towards it. 
Um, and so with an unchanged mind, can we move into belief? When we think philosophically, what does philosophy trying to get us do? It is trying to hold up there certain concepts of life and the world and perhaps even the mystery of the world and trying to give us a kind of an imagination of what we can interpret with our minds. Um, but are our minds meant to be stayed on this? For example, I've been able to hear um, the argument of evolution not as exclusive to creationism, but yeah. as part of a bigger whole. Um, I have no problem in things evolving, um, but I do know that our philosophical language and, and, um, and all of that can end up in an argument of semantics. So yeah. where the result is, yeah. when we look at the people that the gospel presents us with, tax collectors and, pro and prostitutes believed. Why could they believe? And why was that message that John brought to them or came with a message of hope? With those who had been learned, um, why is our learned people in this context not able to change their minds? So when you've made up your mind, does it mean you now also believe what is in your mind and therefore anything that is new, that it's revealed, cannot make its engagement with you simply because your mind is already made up? And I know that that kind of argument has been with humanity for, for kingdom come time because, I mean, it, it happens that every time in our arguments... We are wanting to change each other's minds. You, yeah. you know, for example, yeah. you, you caught on the road driving five kilometers over 60 in a 60-kilometer 60 zone. You're trying to persuade the officer that if he changes his legalistic mindset and just makes some kind of room to understand why you need to drive five kilometers faster in a 60-meter zone, um, but is that not just to get you off? If he gives you off, does that mean he's lost the battle of legalism and that he couldn't apply that to anybody else? Now he has to live with a particular mindset. If I gave Lindsay off, I've got to also give Rodney off. But then what happens to the 60 zone legislation? It was put there so that collectively we can appreciate the road and those others who use it and ourselves and ensure that it is safe. But I, I, I still maintain that the burden of evidence in, in this and all of, of the theological arguments is always on those trying to make the case for the existence of a certain kind of God. Because, like in, in this argument, the burden of evidence was on Jesus because these scholars had, through evidence-based um, methods, through hypotheses and converted into thesis, um, they, they have arrived at a certain mindset. And to change that mindset, they needed more evidence. And they, they just was, it wasn't there. 
like that that's why the the resurrection was needed um like that that's the whole point of the resurrection so it's like had jesus shown more evidence it maybe would have gone easier for him but that's the point of faith <laughs> faith takes what is revealed and therefore continues to seek deeper understanding that's what theology is about, Anselm said. Faith seeking understanding. So it cannot be faith if everything is being revealed. When a person follows a, a, a topic that is a thesis for them, then and they come to a conclusion in their thesis based on the topic that they've researched, how does that thesis with its conclusion relate to everything else that is being reflected on and studied? Because if you reach a conclusion in relation to other theses and research done, does your thesis then hold, as it were, the pinnacle of whatever can be understood in this world and written about? So Jesus uses a contemporary event. Mm. You all experience the baptism of Jesus, right? Sorry, of John. Now, in your, in, your, in your thesis and conclusions that you've made in your mindset, how, how are we meant to understand the baptism of Jesus, of John? Do we see it as an event and a revelation from heaven? Or is it of human origin? Now, that was the question of the thesis Jesus pointed to them based on what they came to ask him around mm. authority. So if they had reached serious conclusions in their minds, given the weight of, of evidence they had in their minds through the studies that they've made, why could they not answer this bravely? Do you, do you run away from new events and therefore a new challenge for research. Once you've made up your mind in one or two or three theses that you've written, no, the world, in your words, sir, evolutionary. So new things appear before us all the time. Given the knowledge we do have, which is a drop in the bucket, if not less, no matter how much PhDs we have, how do we interpret the new things like COVID-19? How are we meant to look at this from the point of view of philosophy, of science, of religion, of faith, of economics, um, and of every other uh, uh, research methodology that we're using it for? The end of the day is, does the body of evidence that we've collected already give us a sense of how we ought to be interpreting what is new on the horizon. Is it from heaven or is it of human origin? In fact, that question Jesus asked makes us think about COVID, makes us think about HIV and AIDS. Was it from heaven? Was it of human origin? Now, the body of research that we have in front of us, of all the things that are being researched and written about, does it help us to give a response to that? 
can we reach some kind of, as some professor would say, in lieu of a, of a, of a conclusion, can we reach a common mind, uh, which is what Paul is advocating on these, on, on how do we address this thing? Now, they seem to have looked for a common mind because in their conversation, which was overheard, if we say it's from heaven, then he's going to ask us, why don't we believe, John, then? If we say of human origin, then we are afraid of the, of the crowds uh, because we've regarded John as a prophet. So the best answer under these circumstances is to say we do not know why they were fearful of the responses coming back to them. That's the beauty of research. It's mm. not so much what you put on paper after you thought through things, but is what's the comeback going to be? And how yeah. do you handle that? Because that's the next thesis you have to write. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my understanding would be that every thesis that is written and attempted to be written is based on this question. Does it come from heaven? Or is it of human origin? And I think that's a good point to, to leave that discussion on because um, we we could be uh i'm formulating my rebuttal already and <laughs> yeah this uh, that that that's gonna take some time um father if you could just uh take us through another couple of points of reflection through the okay. present but, ju but just to show just to show you that even when we talk theology and spirituality and scripture we do not and cannot leave out what others are also reading this and, and researching and discovering. So mm. it's foolhardy to assume that we that philosophy and science doesn't have a conversation with scripture. Um, you know, Jesus, this story presents us certainly squarely when we look at current events and we look at things of the past. How are we meant to reflect on them? And does the body of evidence really help us? that we've currently gained um, to be able to address um, what, in my view, is life and death issues, um, like COVID-19 certainly is. Um, some people have sadly died as a result of this, but how many of their stories would have captured? feelings when their body could not cope with all the things that COVID was beginning to do that medicine and science didn't even know uh, uh, with all the the technology um, discoveries we've made there just was no there just was no uh, unity that's why it boggles the mind to think that a first world country like America has a president who thinks he's got all the answers that tells me that there's some positions that they've got it all together and unless we follow them unless we follow them they will be left behind according to um, um, their model well Jesus just showed them get off the high horse that you're sitting on. Because if you're not willing to open your mind, a changed mind is an open mind. 
mm. to acknowledge I don't know and to be able to grapple with new things that are being revealed in order to come to a renewing faith and a sustainable faith. So, Lindsay, we move on to the prayers of the people. And as we know, our focus is water is life. And so the prayers are focused on asking God, by rejoicing in him as Lord, to refresh the past parched earth, to enable the rains to fall by night and to soak the once dry ground, causing half dried roots to swell and the deep cracks in the earth to close. In our rejoicing in God, we think of the great drops that fall at midday, rejoicing in small streams. Um, we thank God for the beauty of Table Mountain that you visited today. And I'm sure lots of water flowing down there. Uh, these streams are singing on their way from hills down to the valleys uh, to make rivers swell and fill reservoirs, supplying cities and, and irrigation channels with water. As we rejoice in God, we think of the ground uh, and how the rains enable seeds and uh, to, to manifest itself so that there is fruit for us and how men and women toil um, to make seeds grow that God may strengthen their arms and backs um, and give them creative minds and collaboration. And then um, we think of how God brings storms into gentle winds, troubled seas into tranquil waters. He makes the corn to grow in bananas to blossom, that God may wash all of our people with justice, teaching us with righteousness, speaking to us daily and to strengthen us to serve him. God of life, God of all those who walk miles for water, God of those whose only supply is contaminated, bringing death, not life. May water clean and life-giving be available to every living creature. May the vision move forward and may God's will be done. We continue in this month of September, Lindsay, to pray for young people. And this is the prayer that I compiled this week. Creator of the unborn, the conceived, the birthed, the baby and child, the teenager and young adult, the middle age and the elder. We thank you for that in all stages of human existence, you provide life, your life-giving spirit. Even as the waters ebb and flow, so does our lives. Please bless, protect and guide all through our life cycles and teach us that following you is life-giving. For your love is sustaining and your presence comforting. For with you, none of us is ever lonely. And we pray this in and through the name of Jesus, our Savior. And then we continue to commend people and all of us during this time of COVID-19. Those who are working their way through isolation, through hospitalization, those who have been newly infected and those who have recovered, and we also remember those that have died as a result of COVID-19. 
author of Life Healer of the Nations, grant us courage to face our trial, give us wisdom to find relief, give us faith to be responsible and grant us your salvation for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And then in conclusion, um, dear people of God, uh, is the, the mission and benediction for this week's service. As you go into the wilderness of the land and of your heart, may you experience the ever-flowing grace of God's presence. May you be immersed so fully in God's love that you learn to let go and swim. May you engage deeply and radically with the natural world as steward, co-creator, and friend. May you drink anew from the divine source, the stream of living water. And may you be transformed. May the stagnant waters of your spirit begin to flow. And may all which is dead in you rise again. God is here. The river waits. Through the blessing of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, may you go forth with joy to care for God's creation. Amen. And the recessional hymn that we will be singing tomorrow, or in, in sort, of, sort of celebrating tomorrow, even when we can't sing, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. And just to conclude that we would have started the service with Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer, which is a very appropriate to the beginning and the conclusion of this service. Lindsay, thank you very much and thank you all for listening and God bless and keep safe.